Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to episode 66 of Comic Talk, the podcast. My name is Jesse Rivera. Today is Monday, August the 17th. We're halfway through August, folks. How about that? Man, hey, today on the episode, episode number 66 of Comic Talk, the podcast, we have the talented Ivy Cordova. Yes, I've wanted to talk to Ivy for a really long time. And uh, we were we had something set up, kind of, we had something tentatively set up pre-COVID where we were going to try to do a live recording somewhere. But, of course, all of that, uh, you know, fell apart when the whole world fell apart, really, right? And we're building it back up to be better, stronger, more compassionate uh, in the near future. But for now, we're doing everything via Zoom. And I had a lovely chat a couple of days ago with Ivy Cordova over Zoom. And you know, this one was really different because we spoke for a good 30 minutes before we even mentioned comedy. We right away started talking about nutrition, mental health, physical health, and just the struggles we have both overcome uh, in the past, uh, the successes we've both had recently, and the challenges that we have ahead of us right because uh it's not just a like getting healthy mentally and physically is not just about like a fad diet or like going to the therapist once it's about constantly uh recognizing where you're at constantly understanding where you've been and making adjustments and moving forward and not not being stagnant you know so we had a great conversation and i'm really excited to share this episode with you like i'm excited to share all of the episodes with you guys but i'm really proud of this episode because like i said we spent most of the time not even talking about comedy just talking about how much we love and care about ourselves so much that we're taking the next steps to be sure that we're going to be on this beautiful earth for as long as we possibly can and enjoy the time that we're here. So without further ado, here is my conversation with comedian, mom, tech worker, just all around badass, Ivy Cordova. Please enjoy the conversation. Be good to one another. I'll see you. Peace. Ivy Cordova, how the hell are you? I am running around like a chicken with my head cut off. How's your morning? Um, not bad, not bad. Um, I've been up about an hour and a half. Uh, I like to take my morning real slow and uh, enjoy my coffee. And then, uh, I, but right now is usually the time I'm making breakfast. So I had my breakfast a little bit early because uh, I didn't want to like start feeling hungry and angsty during uh during the interview i didn't want to get hangry on you hangry no i totally i totally appreciate it and i'm so sorry that i wasn't more respectful of your time i thought i really thought i'd have more time in between driving to fremont and hayward you know because especially in covid like traffic now is like literally it's like non-existent yeah, um, yeah. but i didn't i didn't factor in the laptop that i had not being charged because that's the, my personal laptop is what my son is using for school rather than the macbook that my dad got him so ah. here we are I'm, I'm, you're the second mom to uh, mention the whole laptop situation with their with their son. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, in the last 24 hours that I've talked to, yeah. Who's the other one? Uh, 
uh, my friend Dana was uh, telling me that uh, she had a work laptop, but she's in between jobs right now. So her son had been using her personal laptop, but now she needs that laptop back so that she can start applying for jobs. Oh, yeah. But um, she's pretty sure that the school would provide a, a, a book, but she hadn't looked into that because they, they, had, they didn't need to worry about that up until... Yeah, they thought they, like, we we thought like we thought we had a laptop, and we have we have probably like four different laptops in this house. I have a personal, I have a personal laptop, a laptop MacBook, which I'm on right now, uh -huh. um, a uh, MacBook Air that my dad like he just it's so weird like how Filipinos like you know it's and it's weird it's weird because I get on my parents all the time about like keeping stuff you know not not that they're hoarders but I think I feel like most immigrant parents have that mentality Definitely. and so I get on them about keeping stuff and of course the one thing that, that they have laying around is an extra MacBook I was like who does that who has an extra fucking computer laying around? Like that's some Filipino old people privilege. Like I, I'd love to have an extra laptop running around, like around my house. Um, the one, the one that I actually have for Jacob, it's see how little this is. This is like so little, not that I want to bounce it around, but it's like tiny. It's so I feel like it's more his size, but he's been using this one, which is a MacBook pro. And you know, what's weird. Like I got this serviced maybe a month or so ago. And I was told that my laptop, is actually considered it's from 2013 uh so it's considered vintage <laughs> what right i was just like i was like it has a keyboard like i don't have to plug any like additional external things into it to make it work fucking we're obviously talking on wi-fi like vintage really like you're putting it in the same category as rotary phones and phone booths like yeah just 20 year old cars yeah like a car's gotta be 20 years old to be considered vintage i think that's agreed agreed yeah, yeah. So you already got up and worked out this morning. I did. I um so I took a few days I took a few days off last week from and I'm not like super hardcore about it. It's just more like this whole quarantine, I just because of lack of not lack of time, but it's just I wanted to have something to do. I took part in like three different fitness challenges. And so I was basically going hard for a few months. And um you know, I also forgot that I'm 39. So I, I had to, I realized like, you know, the recovery time is not the same. So I took a few days off last week. I started up again on Thursday and I went to Barry's boot camp, which is currently the one in the South Bay is meeting up like on the rooftop of this um, parking garage. And it was like the hottest, it was like the hottest week in San Jose. And I was just like looking up at the sky, like fuck my life. It's so I was like, I paid for this. I got to be here. <laughs> um, so, um, Fitness is something that, that you've kind of taken on in the last, is it the last year or so? Um, you've yeah. had some success, right? What's that? You've had some success with your fitness in the last Yeah, year. yeah, yeah. Like the last, um, the last few years, actually, because uh, this sort of goes back to when I was just getting out of my marriage. It was like, you know, kind of traumatic in some ways. And it was just more so taking a toll on my body. Like, I think emotionally, like I felt fine, but like my, at that point I, I, I had to go back on blood and pr pressure medication. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I was on like at least three to four different like depression medications, like that kind of stuff. And so I remember talking to my primary care, like, you know, I got to turn this around especially since, you know, I used to work out more like before, um, you know, like before, before I got married, a couple years after my son was born. So around the 2000, 2010 mark, I was actually running. I was doing like half marathons and, you know, five Ks and 10 Ks and things like that. And so fitness was always a part of my life that way. And the fact that I abandoned it for like some five, some five or six years, it really kind of took a toll on me. 
you know, yeah. because at that point I hadn't figured out how to balance like, you know, personal life, home time, exercise and things like that. And so when I got out of my marriage, I was just like, okay, I got to get myself back in shape, like physically, mentally, whatever, because, you know, this is, I'm getting to the point where I want to be, I want to be around for my son's milestones. You know what I mean? I don't want to be that stereotypical exhausted mom wearing like you know wearing stretch pants all the time and drinking wine and you know joking about how awful parenthood like I just didn't want to do that you know like I was just like you know I feel like my son deserves better especially since he's like an active kind of like track and field kind of kid so the last few years I just started incorporating more of this stuff back into my life and then finally I got some consistency with my current job when the one of the gyms I go to now I discovered it through class pass and it was across the street it was like across the street practically from where I work in downtown San Francisco, which is Barry's boot camp. Because the other gym that I was working at were these guys, and I still work with I still work out with them. That's actually where I came back from today. These guys that I've been um I've known them since before my son was born. And the reason I enjoy working out with them the most probably is because uh well we've all become good friends over the years, but also I feel like they have some credibility because in high school they all used to be fat. So Okay. Which which made more sense to me, especially like with my up and down struggles, because I don't need some fucking like 98 Lululemon wearing blonde bitch to tell me about nutrition. Like it's clear that I need some help, but I want to take it from somebody that knows where I'm coming from. You Who know? knows the struggle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It just it just some like some parts of the fitness community don't make sense to me. So uh, you know, I've, I've searched for like the help with people that I feel like know where I'm coming from with this and kind of get why, why it's a struggle in the first place. Yeah. And I really like that. She's, uh, um, I picked up this, that you said that you felt that you were, you were struggling like physically and mentally. So did you take on both of those at the same time or did you kind of like work on your mental first and then get, get to your, to your physical? Was so it- for me, like I've been in, I've been in psychotherapy for about 10 years. Like I, um, I, you know, I always, I use I utilized back in back when I was an undergrad. Uh, I utilized our college's um, mental health services pretty often, and then um, you know I've always been aware that there was something. I just I, I never could figure out what because there's it's sort of stigmatized in um, Asian American and Filipino culture to really like get in the nitty gritty about mental health. Well, maybe maybe not the way it is now because I think now people are more open to having a dialogue about it. But you know back when I was in my my twenties. Uh, when I was in my teens, it's not like my parents didn't care. It was just more like, suck it up. Like it wasn't really talked about, yeah. but I always, I always had a feeling that there was something like underneath that I couldn't figure out. And when I finally, uh, when I finally got my like diagnosis after a really bad, like postpartum depression, after I had my son in 2008, he's 12 now. Um, you know, I was just like, I really got to take this shit seriously. So I like when I, when I had Kaiser, I had a fantastic therapist. I was with that therapist for a long time. And then um, when I changed jobs about four years ago and I no longer had Kaiser, you know, I told my therapist, look, I still need to figure out a way to see you, even though I'm on different insurance. So now I see, now I'm one of his uh, private practice patients, which is a little bit, it's like 130 bucks an hour. But, you know, I think for, um, you know, on the upside, I, especially in the last couple of years, I've had to see him less and less frequently as I've gotten more of like more control over like my life and like my mental state and things like that. And to be honest with you, I think fitness was a huge part of that because, um, you know, I didn't even really think about, man, like I got to lose weight. It's just more like I, I got to be in a better place physically, like as far as like being able to keep up. But the side effect too, was that I lost a ton of weight because it was just, um, you know, I think really what I, what I sought out when I started doing my workouts was, uh, like the endorphins and the mental clarity and stuff like that. I feel like, 
maybe that's sort of what's getting me through quarantine. And the fact that I've been able to keep my spirits up is the fact that I've, you know, tried to stay active, tried to keep those endorphins going, try not to be like super lazy. Uh, but it's, it's also hard. Like, I feel like I, sometimes I hesitate from telling people that because, you know, I want to check my own privilege as being like an able-bodied person. And, you know, not everybody can get up and like go do a million fucking kickouts. Like I pay people to tell me to do so. But this is what's worked for me, and this is what's keeping my spirits up, like mentally, especially in the last like few years. You know, but at the same time, when you when you when you tell the stories about that, you get up and you do these things, like it, it motivates people like like me, you know, and it, and it motivates, uh, you know, because like like I've struggled with my weight, and like you know, I struggled with my weight like forever, and then like I realized like late in my like probably in my mid to late thirties that like oh it's it's my mental like this is all mental like I need to fucking fix my head. I need to get my head right. And then that's going to, you know, may help me take the steps to getting the rest of this right. You know, so it's something that I've, that I've, that I've struggled with. And it wasn't until like maybe like the last five to seven years that I've had like a really good clarity about like, I catch myself when I'm slipping into a depression and I realize that like this reckless behavior is a result of these, these other, like how you said, these underlying issues that, that hadn't been addressed. Yeah. You know, so uh, I guess the point I was trying to make is like uh, when when you speak when you talk about that, uh, there might be like a certain audience that 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 you feel that you're alienating that you're coming from a place of privilege. But there's this broader audience, believe me, that like needs to hear that and uh, appreciate, appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. And I'm so glad that uh, one of the things I wanted to tell you too is like I'm so glad that I was able to uh, talk with you uh, a little bit on the gag on this podcast. Because, like, I've been a huge fan of yours, like, since I saw you at the Invisible Disabilities show. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, uh, maybe over, I was, well, I was over a year ago, right? Were you, were you doing comedy at that time? Like, were you, like, had, uh, you, I, had you begun doing comedy at that point? I, think I had just started doing comedy at that time. Yeah, because I've only been doing comedy, like, September will be two years. Congrats! Yeah, thanks, that I've, that I've been doing comedy. And since, like, the first two or three months that I was doing comedy and when I'd come off stage, I would be just like exhausted. Like even like a five minute set, like I would start getting worried. Like I'd start to get tired. And then like, I started getting to the point where like people were asking me to do like seven minutes and 10 minutes and yeah. 12 minutes and 15 minutes. And I was like, shit, I don't know if I can stand up that long, you know? Yeah. And, or, or if I can, I can't, I can't be. Cause like one of the reasons I quit doing improv, was like I couldn't get physical enough to keep up with the rest of the team. Improv demand improv is demanding like that. Were you were you doing it at um at the comedy spot? Yeah, yeah. At nice. The comedy spot. Yeah. That's a nice place. Oh yeah, that's great. And so September twenty eighteen is when I started doing comedy. And then like December twenty eighteen, I was like, all right, I'm gonna do I I felt that like the my last choice was to do the gastric bypass surgery, right? So I went to the orientation and I, and I, I, I went through the whole orientation. I went through the steps and, and like, uh, you know, here, here, you're here, you're here, you're going to get to do the surgery here. And the more I read about it and the more like I looked into it, I was just like, I just got to do this on my own because like one, I enjoy eating. Like I enjoy, yeah. I enjoy cooking. I enjoy smelling. I enjoy shopping. I enjoy making you a dinner, making my roommate a dinner. Like I enjoy that. 
And when you do the gastric bypass surgery, nothing against those people, but they they are gonna lose a lot of that because like eat overeating. It limits what they can eat. It physically it like it like narrows like the amount of thing that your that your stomach can hold. Do you like have you known people in your life that have had that surgery? Yeah, yeah, I've known a, I've known a handful of people, and um, they have their ups and downs, and it's it's very seldom, it's very seldomly a they had the surgery and now everything is great. You know, it's more like they had the surgery, everything is great. Oh shit, they put back on a lot of the weight, and it, to me, it just really was like, okay, this has to be a lifestyle, a complete lifestyle change, and. It can't be because one of the things that like really weighed in my mind is like I love watching old TV shows. Like I love watching Leave It to Beaver. Yeah. Lucy, right? Yeah, the late night like old school Nick like yeah. Nick at Night Sunday shows kind of thing. And then like two things struck me is like one, all of those people were in great shape. Like like yeah. you never see fat people in the old TV shows. No. And two, those people never spent. Uh, an hour and a half of their day going to and from the gym. It was just like a more active lifestyle. Yeah, it was, it was different back then. Like I think people, uh, especially in certain communities, people would like walk to the market. Like it wasn't so get in your car, everything's so far apart and spread out. Like, you know, like what it's like living in like LA and SAC, you know, you have to drive at least 20 minutes to get somewhere kind of thing you know I think the life it, you're right the lifestyle was just very very different and I'm sure also portions weren't as huge as they are now yeah yeah and that's what so okay so that's something like the portions so I recently went on like a really good run where like I lost like I've been losing weight and I and I hit this really good milestone that I've been wanting to hit I know I mean I'll tell you about it like um when I started comedy I weighed like 475, 470 pounds, right? When I started the gastric bypass surgery stuff, I was like, okay, let me, I, you know, I changed my diet. When I decided I don't want to do the surgery, I was like, I'm just going to change my diet, change my lifestyle. And then uh, like a month and a half ago, I finally hit, like I, I, I got off the scale one morning and I hit, and I was 399 pounds. Like for the first time, like in 20 years, I was under 400 pounds. Damn, that's awesome. Yeah, and it just fucking, like, so then I relaxed a little bit, right? I let up a little bit. And you know yeah. what it was, is like, what I told myself is like, working from home, I'm going to get out every day during lunch and take a drive and go to a local, like, not McDonald's, not Jack in the Box, not uh, uh, the chicken. Not place. fast food. Yeah, but go to, like, uh, like El Forestero, uh, this fish and chips place and order locally right and at least put some money back into my neighborhood but yes. with that like for the three or three or so weeks after that like I just kept yo-yoing between like 399 397 401 39 you know and because the portions that because even though it's not processed even though it's not frozen that what they're serving you is still a big portion and it's, it's ginormous Especially in America, like I, um, I, before, obviously, prior to uh, Corona, I traveled a lot for my job. Uh -huh. And, um, and also just in general, because most of the people in my family, like they live like far away. So it's like, if we don't travel, we don't see them. And there was one, um, there's one week I, I had a work thing. I was in Japan and I took my kid with me. 
because he was he was eight and he was and at that point i was like you know what when else am i gonna get to go to japan on on practically somebody else's dime yeah. i might as well take my kid so i took him with me and here's the thing people in japan they love to eat like you know they're they're fans of like juices and breads and cakes and croissants and the food is like really really rich but it's in like tiny ass like fuck it like little portions like me and my son went to starbucks because that was our thing it's like whenever we're in a foreign country we try to go to like our favorite chains and see like you know the japanese version of starbucks the philippines version of starbucks you know korean starbucks and we went to the japanese starbucks a grande was like probably not even the size of what's considered a tall it was like the smaller it was, it was like their like their medium was like our tiny you know, uh -huh. just like, or maybe the other way around. They had a tiny size that would have been like our medium. Wow. Yeah. Like the portions were much, much, much smaller. Like I think there was also one place that had like, I think, was it a curry bun? And I love curry buns. I love anything with curry in it. It's just, that's my shit. But it was like more of the size of a small, you ever had those like Hawaii, those Hawaiian, King Hawaiian rolls? The sweet yeah. roll? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. Right. No, I love those rolls, by the way. Like, just so good. Anyway, the bun was like that size. And, you know, if, if I had the same thing in America, I guarantee you that bitch would have been the size of my fist. Well, in America, that would be part of your uh, appetizers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't, sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, even as an American, I still can't believe that when you go to uh, Red Lobster, that you just get those biscuits like really like that's part of it like i really and which i love by the way i haven't i haven't been in at least a couple of years but that's the only uh, reason to go to red lobster exactly exactly i was just like fuck their shrimp give me some biscuits like my um you know growing up like me my cousins most of us like worked in we worked in service industry jobs before we you know got like jobs in more like i guess the professional sector like they're like they work in healthcare they're doctors or nurses you know i work in tech but before that, we all worked in, you know, I feel like it should be a requirement to work in the service industry. Like we, we all worked in bars and restaurants. I worked in nightclubs and, you know, I had an internship. I think I told you this on the last podcast. I had an internship for a whole year at the Exploratorium and I balanced that with a job at Old Navy and a job working a bar back and a door at, the, at this nightclub in San Francisco. And um, I remember one of my favorite memories of when my older cousins would come home from their like waitressing like their waitressing jobs my favorite one was when she worked at uh red lobster because we had those biscuits like every thanksgiving yeah. <laughs> like it was it was just such a part of like my, the growing up experience which is like which is why i also you know would would probably i don't want to say discourage surgery but like yeah like with just with, like with you eating is such a huge part of my life like i think about you know, I think about how biscuits and Stouffer's lasagna evoke memories for me of my, you know, family gatherings and things like yeah. that. So, I mean, I feel like it's easier to just make a lifestyle change rather than something drastic that's going to just reduce the amount of stuff that, you know, you get to even put in your face in the first place. One of the things that I'm really enjoying, uh, that I really enjoy doing right now, and I was really inspired by watching uh, Ugly Delicious on Netflix. Uh, have you seen that show? I have not. It's, okay, it's a, a David Chow's uh, Ugly Delicious. And what, what the premise of it is, is that like he took all these traditional Korean dishes and he made them healthier, right? Okay, I have seen that show. Yeah. And so I've like, been watching a lot of cooking food related shows over yeah, this break. And so, and so what would happen is like he would go to his mom and talk to his mom about like the recipe or what it was and, you know, 
the textures and the smells and the taste, and then he would then he would tweak it and try to keep the same smells, texture, try to keep the same memory from the childhood, but bring it into 2020 where it's clean, healthy, not processed. And his mom and his mom would be like, "That is ugly. What is that?" And then <laughs> she would taste it and smell it. And she'd be like, "Oh shit, you did it, right?" So that's ugly, delicious. So like. One of the things for me right now is like trying to like bring some of the foods back from my childhood that I really enjoyed, but like late, but like some of the stuff, like I just can't like tortillas done. Like I broke up with bread. It's like done. But like, yeah, one of, one of my latest things is mole. Like I, <gasps> I love mole. Love mole. And you know, the first time I made mole, like I made it from scratch. It ended up costing like, 50 bucks like to make like a batch of mole and like, I was talking to my mom about it and she was like well what the hell did you do and I was like well I bought all the ingredients she's like no dummy just go buy the instant <laughs> and she's like yeah just buy the instant and tweak that yeah and I was like fuck so I you said, really busted your own ass for the classic though you know what I mean that's dedication yeah and then um but now I learned how to just make the instant and I'm fucking putting mole on everything. I'm getting on my sister's last nerves because like uh, I have like a text group with my sisters and a couple of my nephews and nieces and yeah. we're all trying to help each other stay on track with our eating. So we share our meals and they're like, I'm afraid to look, Jesse, because what the fuck did you put mole on today? And <laughs> like, I'm putting it on my breakfast omelets. Like I'm making omelets. Like I'm making- Mole with eggs and vegetables. I'm making omelets with, with, uh, with uh, bell peppers, mushrooms, onions. Uh, cheese and then spreading mole on top of it, like, uh, Yum. like and, and oh, they're like, that's amazing. They're like, that's gross, and I'm like, that's ugly, delicious. Like I try to like tell them like, this is what I'm doing, and like they, they kind of get it, but they still like look at it like, I don't know, you know. <laughs> uh, but one of the things I wanted to, I'm trying to circle back to you about is that sure. like, so when I when I hit the, when I fucked up and started eating out. I knew I needed to change it up and I needed to figure out like what I was going to do for lunch. Cause like my breakfasts are good. Like I'm not fucking up on breakfast. My dinners are good. I'm not fucking up on dinner, but where I was messing up was lunch. That's when I put the call out on uh, Facebook for people to share with me. What was their favorite thing from Trader Joe's? I remember that conversation. Yeah. Trader Joe's is so clutch, dude. Like some of their stuff is so easy. And I had never fucked with the Jasmine rice. And like it's so good. It's so easy. It's like three minutes. I cannot believe like this life hack was just, was just something I was walking by every day at Trader Joe's. And like, dude, that has saved me the last two weeks. I've had rice probably maybe every day, maybe every, at least every other day. Wow. The entire time that I've lived, um, and I'm I'm like 39 years old, like the entire time that I've lived away from home, I have never owned or used a rice cooker just because I remember, like, I grew up, like, you know, making rice for my family and having to clean that shit. And, you know, it's it's not, like, super difficult, especially since, like, Asian rice cookers, they take the guesswork out for you. But just knowing that I could have rice in three minutes as opposed to 15 coming from a rice cooker. And not it, have to clean anything yeah. afterwards. Yeah, like, for me, like, for me, like, I, I like to clean it because I hate it's way harder when you let it dry and then the rice sticks to the pan and then yeah. you got to use like some extra like industrial fucking like arm strength shit just to clean it. And I remember that being the bane of my existence. Like, 
fuck this. I want to watch comedy or just, you know, like it just, I never wanted to, it, it traumatized me as a kid. So I was like, we're just stupid. So I was like, you know what, let me just make my life easier and just find this life hack. And I found it in the freezer section of Trader Joe's. Man, the jasmine rice has saved my ass the last it's so good, isn't it? Like the last last two weeks, like I bought one box um, to try it out, and then like I came home and I was looking at it, and I was like, I was like double reading the ingredients and like looking because like one of the things that I that I fear is like I I fear sodium and sugar. Like I just yeah, like I stayed so far away, and I was like, oh, this is not bad. Like this is fine. And I was like three minutes just in the same bag. And I was like, can't be this easy. (laughs) It is. And so now, and then I don't know, somebody else recommended the, uh, the shredded beef. Like, uh, so it's, it's beef that's already all chopped up. So sort of like there, um, is it like barbacoa type stuff or like, was it shredded or just chopped? It's shredded, but it's, 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 it's not cooked yet. So it's raw and it's already nice. It's all cut up. And it's like 10 bucks a pound, but it's so easy. Like you just throw it in. So like what I did this week is like, I threw that in and I threw in like onion and mushrooms and I done, and I sauteed that up. And then I, then I did the rice and then I just mixed it all up. I had made myself like a bowl. That's perfect. Yeah. And, uh, and like with that one pound package of it, I got three servings out of it. So I have like, a dinner and two lunches, you know? And Anything that resembles like any kind of like chipotle type bowl where you have like your protein, you have your veggies, you have always like anything that can fit in the confines of a bowl. That's my shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's been working out. And then I've also been uh, fucking around with the, with the less, like I haven't used salt as seasoning. Like I, like I used to be like a salt and pepper guy. Like that's all I used. Cause like I was so like of the Anthony Bourdain school of like if you can't make a good meal with just salt and pepper then you can't do it. But you're a terrible cook. <laughs> yeah, but now um, I'm doing uh, a lot of garlic powder and uh, adding heat with cayenne. And, oh yeah. And hardly any salt and hardly any pepper. Now it's it's uh it's about the it's about the garlic powder and the cayenne right now. I like for me I like garlic pepper or garlic pepper. I like garlic powder, onion powder. Um, I also really like the mushroom, like umami powder from, uh, Trader Joe's. And I also really like their, um, this isn't Trader Joe's, but I also get this at the, um, I usually get this at an Asian market. I like white pepper. Okay. Okay. I am convinced that white pepper is one of the ingredients in like KFC. You know, like how they have like the, the blend of spices or whatever. I'm convinced white pepper is one of those spices. But so the white pepper, you gotta, you have to get that in an Asian market. I think, I feel like some markets now, like Rayleigh's or Safeway, I feel like there's more of a selection of like Asian markets, but I would check Ranch 99 or just at your local Asian market first, just because white pepper is so prevalent in like a lot of, especially like Chinese cooking specifically. Like whenever I go like to get dim sum with my kid or whoever, like I notice on the table, there's always like, there's usually like salt, there's like chili oil, like sesame and then there's like white pepper. Like uh-huh. I know that those, so I, so I make sure I have all of those, you know, in my, like in my kitchen at all times. Not, not because I ever make dim sum at home, but just because, you know, if I want to make something like really quick, like marinade or some sort of chicken, like it sort of mimics that sort of like flavor I'm looking for when I can't get to a regular dim sum place. Are you, are you using an instant pot at all yet? I am not. Like I, I should, I should get one. I think the, the reason I've like, 
the reason I've like hesitated to get like a lot of different cooking tools now is because lack of counter space. I'll be completely honest with you. Okay. But I recently got a, uh, I recently got an air fryer and that is pretty clutch for like heating up things like leftovers and, you know, making things crispy when they would be soggy if you put them in the microwave. And it also doesn't take the same amount of time as if you put it in like a, like in one of those like, uh, like convector, like those toaster ovens, uh-huh. the air fryer does it so much quicker. So but in thought I've heard good things because my sister has one. You're using an air fryer uh not a microwave to reheat stuff yeah that's my hack i fucking hate my microwave but i find myself having to use it maybe once or twice a week but i don't like to use it but like i wish i really wish i only used it for those uh rice packages right now but i think okay i think an air fryer okay so my takeaway from so my takeaway from this conversation with ivy is an air fryer and uh uh onion powder from trader joe's and then once I'm, I'm going to mess with the onion powder for about a week or two, then I'm going to go looking for the white powder, which that yeah. I'll probably forget. I'll probably have to message you and say, what was that other thing you said? White pepper, white pepper. And don't forget the thing from the thing from Trader Joe's. I mean, you can get garlic and onion powder anywhere. The thing that's specifically from Trader Joe's is their, um, their mushroom umami seasoning. I don't know the full name of it, but it's in the same, of course it's in the same, in the same section as you get like all those other seasonings, you know, like the, yeah. the elote seasoning and the everything Got with it. the bagel seasoning. Got it. You know, like just all that shit is there. Like yeah. there's so much Trader Joe's in my cabinet right now. I'm not even, I'm not even ashamed to admit it. Like, it's, no, I, I go to Trader Joe's probably five times a week. You, yeah, same, same. I'm probably, I'm probably going to go get coffee and go after this. Like I, like my routine, like my routine, especially since me and my son are pretty much the only people that leave the house. Cause I'm quarantined with my parents. I, I told you this, that they think of the previous uh, podcast that we worked on together. Okay. And um, yeah, they've been, they, they were supposed to leave in March and they obviously, you know, cannot leave because you know, if they go back to the Philippines, they'll be quarantined for two weeks in some bullshit hotel that may or may not be as nice as their nice uh, upscale condo. Um, so they've just been here ever since. And so, uh, because they're considered a risk group and you know, my parents are actually really, really healthy. Like my dad works out in the backyard, like with me when I'm doing workouts, he's there working out right, right next to me. So, uh, but that being said, they're still like almost 70. And so it's just safer for me to be able to go out. So as a result, like, I, <laughs> I was like, this is how DoorDashers feel like shit. I'm driving everywhere. Like, I remember, I think there was one day where I went to Trader Joe's like three times and then they sent me to. I think they sent me to Whole Foods for something that was like completely obscure to me. Like I had to look it up and I know my food. So the fact that I didn't know what this was, I was like, okay, I'm going to ask somebody that knows what they're talking about. And then um, in that same week I had a, I had a gig for an actual live show in Santa Rosa. I was like, Mike, I've gone through, I was like, my car has gone through so many fucking tanks of gas. I was like, I'm so tired, but this is what happens when you're the only person that really kind of like drives and goes out places. You know what? Um, we haven't talked about comedy at all, which I don't mind, which is great. Um, yeah. But the last, when we were on Gag on this, you had a lot of really nice things to say about doing comedy in Bakersfield. Well, I think maybe particularly the show that you were doing in Bakersfield. And uh, I was saving this for our podcast because in the back of my mind, I always knew I was going to have you on my podcast eventually. Yeah. I grew up in, I grew up in Bakersfield. Well, I grew, I grew up in Lamont, which is like a suburb of Bakersfield, but like, that's what okay. you did. You, you went into town for everything, right? Yeah. So like, I grew up in Bakersfield and I, I moved away from Bakersfield in 2013 to come to Sacramento to work. And so Bakersfield is home. And when I started doing comedy, um, 
I realized that it's it's a little bit of a hub of uh, of comedy because it's like yeah. it's just it's so close to LA and you know and in the last like year and a half like uh, Jessica De La Garza Jessica De La Rosa there's another Jessica down there that is like producing shows and there's a few guys that are, that are that are producing shows and it's it's really becoming a nice little comedy hub. Absolutely. Like the person I've worked with primarily that comes out of uh, Bakersfield is um, Tyson Paul, who runs We Own the Laughs. Have you heard of that one? I, I've heard of that and I've heard that name. Yeah, Tyson Paul, yes. Yeah, Tyson, Tyson's become, he's become a really close friend. And like the way that we met was actually, I don't know if you, I don't know if I, if I brought, if I ever talked about this on the Gag On Me podcast, but the way that me and Tyson met was like, he, I think he added me on Instagram. He actually found me on Instagram. And then he was like, he messaged me and he was just like, hey, you know, your humor, you know, it's like, you're, you're the type of person, you know, we'd want to have on our show, you know, would, would you ever, you know, consider coming down to Bakersfield for a show? And I was like, yeah, yeah absolutely. Just, you know, let me know when you have something. And then not too long after that, one of my friends who had just moved to Bakersfield, she had just seen me do a show in David Buster's in San Jose back when they were having those shows. And uh, she messaged me and she was like, you know, your show was great. When are you coming to Bakersfield? And so I tagged Tyson in the post. I was like, when am I going to Bakersfield? And Tyson oh, was like, perfect. what about January? And I was like, I did not expect him to respond that quick. I thought it was going to be like, okay, well, let me check. Because, you know, most people, like, when you talk to them about, like, getting on shows and stuff like that, they'll just be like, okay, well, I'll see. Let me check my schedule. I'll get back to you. You yeah, know, of course, yeah, yeah. everybody goes through that when you first start out as a comic, you know, when you're in a position where you still have to talk to people about being on your show, about being on shows. And so, yeah, I just tagged him. I was like, you know, what's up? And he was like, January? Cool. And so I remember We Own the Laughs used to be out of this, um, like, like small Mexican restaurant. And then he expanded it and brought it to all the major comedy clubs up and down California. And I think with maybe the exception of one show, I've been on almost all of his shows. So that's been a, like, we've had a really good like working collaboration. Uh, I participated in the series when he, uh, when he taped it, it was supposed to be, it was supposed to premiere in, on um, Amazon prime back in April, but with the Rona, of course, you know, every, everyone's special, everyone's specials, everyone's shows got delayed. Um, you know, our show got delayed. AJ DeMello's special got delayed. So, you know, for the time being, I think you could actually view the episodes on, on YouTube, but you know, no matter what, like he's one of my favorite people to work with uh, whenever, you know, I have opportunities in Bakersfield. Like that's people like, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's fair for me to say people overlook it, but I feel like maybe people that think, it's only possible to do comedy in the Bay in, in the Bay area or in LA. I'm like, I would encourage them to, you know, expand your horizons because there's a lot of places up and down the rest of the state that love comedy. And they're so like, they get super excited. Like those audiences, they fucking love them. Yes. Some comedy, especially out of towners, mm -hmm. you know? And I think um, it used to intimidate me, you know, especially being in some of those small towns, like looking like this, but you know, for the most part, I think if you're, if you're funny and relatable, you can make that shit work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, it's a, it's a town that is, is always gets a bad rap, you know, um, like in the, in the seventies and eighties, Johnny Carson used to pick on Bakersfield all the time, like constantly in his monologue. And, um, but it, it is, it is, it's still a great town and it is a very, very diverse town. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, um, that I was really happy to hear you saying so many great things about Bakersfield. And uh, I was like, I'm going to save this for my podcast. 
absolutely. Um, you know, like so many people, like one of my, one of my favorite, one of my, uh, very, my very close friends, I don't know if you've ever worked with a uh, Jean Yi. No. She's from, so she, um, I met her in the Bay Area, but I think she actually grew up in Bakersfield. Really? So like her trajectory was like Bakersfield to, I think the Bay Area. She went to Stanford for college like years ago. She's like maybe a year older than me. So we're like the same demographic. And, um, and then she found comedy a few years ago and we finally met. And I had no idea. Like, I thought she'd grown up in the Bay like me. And no, she was like, no, I grew up in Bakersfield. I was like, wow. Yeah, so, we, we can adapt easily. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I always, I always feel like when people talk about places like Bakersfield, I feel like that's sort of the same stuff that maybe people say about Hayward. And I have had only the most fantastic experience growing up in Hayward. So, you know, the thing is that, like, I hear the things about Hayward, right, that you say. But yeah. everyone that I've ever met from Hayward is exactly as down to earth and genuine as you are. You know? Thank you. Yeah. Like I, I've loved like whenever, like when I, I, it used to, you know, I, I never used to mention Hayward before because nobody, like hardly anyone I felt knew where it was. But like in the last, like in the last like three years uh, that I've been like working as a comic and going to more places outside of uh, the Bay area, you know, whenever somebody introduces me as, you know, coming from San Francisco, I'm like, first of all, I'm not from no fucking San Francisco with all due respect. Like I'm from, I'm from fucking Hayward. Like I grew up in Hayward. That's where I lived. That's where I, you know, that was the first place we lived when we first uh, moved to California. That's where I live now. You know, it's always going to be a part of me, no matter where I go. Like I am not from, with all due respect to San Francisco, people from SF are really proud of being from SF, you know, good for them. Like I'm also really proud of being from Hayward. Yeah. You know, I, I had a funny, I had a weird feeling uh, the first time uh, I got introduced as a Sacramento comic because like, I was like, I'm from Bakersfield, but yeah. I didn't do any of this shit in Bakersfield though. So like I've embraced yeah. the Sacramento comic thing because it was in Sacramento. Like when I was in Bakersfield, I was just a piece of shit. And like there's when I came up here that I really like was like, I and I literally just Googled improv Sacramento because I wanted to do improv and Sacramento comedy spot came up and it just, it just went from there. That was, that was, I think like 2014. I spent like, five years messing around like I did like every improv class that were like 101 201 301 yeah. took 301 did the musical improv uh sketch writing I was I was really doing trying everything but like in the back of my head like stand-up was always there but I was always like that's too scary there's no fucking way I'm gonna get up there and talk for five minutes and like no now it's like I, I don't like to say that I miss it because then that just goes into the whole downward spiral of the whole COVID thing. But like, um, it, it really is like a part of my life. Like I, like how people like come home and couldn't wait to get their shit together and go to the gym. Like I would come home and like, would just be antsy until it was time to go to the open mic or the show or, you know, more, more, more times than not, it was an open mic, but you know, the shows were finally started to pick up. Like I had just done like, in the week that everything got shut down, like I had done Chico for the first time. I did Sacramento punchline for like the third time. And the following week I was going to do SF punch with invisible disabilities. Oh man, that would have been, that would have been an amazing show. Um, and like, uh, Coral Best was on it, was going to be on it. Uh, uh, That's girl. yeah. Oh yeah. Coral's amazing. Uh, Coral's one of the girls that when I saw her, um, because like when I first started doing comedy, like I was like, I don't want to talk about being fat. Like, I don't want to like be the subject of my own jokes. Right. 
Right. But like when uh, two things, uh, Theo Morgan would always tell me, like he was really super cool. He would always talk to me at open mics and he would say, Jesse, I'm not telling you to go up there and do fat jokes, but when you go up there, you need to address the first thing that the crowd notices about you, right? And he would say it in the, mo in the nicest, most polite way of like, you're dancing around it and you really can't avoid it. It was like what he was telling me, you know? And then, but then when I saw Coral Best at the Invisible Disability show, I was like, if she could talk about this, then I could talk about this, you know? Yeah. And, and I could, and I could find it, I could find my angle and, and I, and I told myself, and, and if I can't find my angle and make this funny, then what I'm doing isn't right. Like this isn't for me then. And that really inspired me to tackle my own demons and while I was standing up on stage because she's brave enough to do it. Like, you know, I should be able to bra uh, be brave enough to do it. You know, what's, what's the majority of the stuff like your subject matter? Like what's the majority of the stuff that you address now? Cause it's, I think it's been a while since I've heard your set. So now uh, I'm like, uh, I, I, I address my weight, I address my past drug addictions. And uh, now I'm like even like getting comfortable enough for like, I'm addressing like, um, like what my sex life is like being this big and being this challenged and being like, you know, the, the, the things that I've overcome and like had to adapt, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with talking about, I'm fine with talking about like difficulties in dating and, and, and all that stuff. Cause it's just like, it's there. And like, the more you talk about it, like, like with some of the sex stuff, like I'll see like girls nudge their boyfriends, like, you know, like, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, um, it's, it's really, it's all where like, first I tried to be an observational comic, right. Of like, just like things that I observed, but that, that wasn't me. And now I'm a lot more comfortable in my own skin and yeah. talking about my own personal experiences versus of like, you know, uh, you ever see two people at Ikea, you know, like that, that was like one of my first jokes, like talking about watching couples shop at Ikea, you know, but now it's like, it's more about me. Like, cause like, oh, absolutely. That's what I know the best, right. It's myself. I was trying to explain this to my coworkers yesterday because, um, so one of the things that my actual place of employment, my actual tech job, one of the things that we've been doing over quarantine is we've been doing these series uh, where, you know, we have happy hours and different people host the happy hours and talk about their lives because, you know, we have, I, my job, it's really awesome. Like we, we have a really diverse background of people. Like we have, we've had people, we've got people that are musicians. Uh, one of the people that I work with is an ex NFL athlete, you know, so of course people want to know about their stuff. And me, of course, like for the, maybe the first couple of years I was at that job, I tried to keep my comedy stuff on the down low. And then one day one of my colleagues walked in and was just like, weren't you just at Cobbs? And I was like, shit. Right. And so, um, you know, I've been more open and out, I should say as a comic, because, you know, I didn't know if I could do that and balance my job at the same time. But as it turns out, like I work for a company that embraces that kind of diversity. So yesterday uh, I hosted a happy hour where I talked about my uh, trajectory uh, as, as a comic. And one of the questions I got was how do you come up with material? You know what I mean? And I think, I don't think I've ever sat down and wrote a joke like from scratch, like something fictional for me. Like my technique is something happens to me and I have to find a way to translate that from, you know, what it was to something that's 
absorbable as a stand-up, you know, as a stand-up joke on stage. Because, you know, there's a huge difference, too, between telling your friends and family, like, a funny story versus yeah. telling that same story and making it, like, translatable to the stage. Oh, so yeah. that was... That, that's where, like, in the beginning, I thought, oh, this is going to be easy, because I've been the life of the party for 20 years. Like, sure. yeah. transition is going to be easy, but, like, you're not telling a story in front of your 10 best friends, <laughs> you know? So that, that changed real, like that was a real quick uh, uh, reality check uh, the first time that they didn't laugh. But I was like, wait, this is gold. <laughs> Why right. don't you guys laugh more? That audience sucked, you know? Right? No, I get it. Like that's, I think that's a mistake. It's like, it's a, it's an understandable rookie mistake, especially since there's a lot of people that, you know, they're, they're funny in conversation, but the challenge is, are you able to make that translate to the stage like people that don't know you from the next person and that was my thing it's like when I first uh when I first came back to comedy from years of like being gone because I took so I started in 2006 in 2000 I think 2008 2009 I completely ate shit at a show and quit for like eight years and I came and then I came back in like 2016 2017 ish uh one of the things that um one of the things that I discovered, sorry, I'm, I'm trying, I, I completely lost my train of thought, but it was about, it was related, it was related to like writing jokes. Fuck, I completely just lost my own train of thought. But you've never been the type of person to sit down and write a joke like from A to B to C. That... Oh, you know what? Here's the thing. Like it's, um, so I, when I came, when I came back to comedy, thank you. I remember where I was going with this. Uh, when I came back to comedy, I knew already that I could make my family and friends laugh. It was just more like, could I make strangers laugh? People that don't know me from another person. And so when I decided to come back to comedy, I started doing comedy first in LA where I knew nobody. And then I finally had the nerve, like, because I was doing, I was in LA a lot for work at the time. And so, you know, at night I would have nothing to do. So I would just go to, I would go to Mike's. Uh, There was one point where I spent like three weeks in LA or it was like some some work related stuff. So during that time, I took a um, intensive at UCB, which is where I took improv, and um, you know, and then at night I would do like I would either watch the other shows, like the um, the Herald shows, or I would go and just watch open mics and not participate. I would just watch other people to see what it was like, or I'd you know go to like the, you know the comedy store and you know see who was performing and see if there was anybody from you know my class that wanted to come with me I did all that for like an entire maybe like a summer maybe like half a year before I had the nerve to finally come back to the Bay Area and try it up there because I was like okay if I can make these strangers laugh maybe I got some hope of making people that know me in the Bay and it was years I think before I actually started inviting people to my shows because you know how here's the thing like I feel like young comics get sidetracked because of bringer shows you know, and I think bringer shows are, you know, they're, they're an experience. I feel like every comic should do at least one because at least, you know, they have people to support them. But the problem with those is that, you know, you're, you don't, I feel like you don't get to really grow because all, of course, the people around you are going to be super supportive. They're going to be like, yeah, that's my girl. But, you know, you don't really get a critical eye as opposed to you're doing this in front of strangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not genuine, right? Like No, exactly. You didn't have to, because like, I'm sure you've had a set where like, it didn't start out good, but then you fucking fought and you won them back, right? Like that's, that would never happen in a bringer show, right? Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll yell for you regardless of whether you're eating shit or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another thing with the, another, another thing that could go wrong with the bringer show is that like, 
your friends think that they're part of the show. <laughs> oh, I hate that. Like, it's just, I mean, my, like, thank God, my friends, I've been, I've been fortunate because I feel like my friends, they know me and so they know better. Okay. That shit to me. But like, I see that shit happening to like other people, their friends get super comfortable, especially if their friends get super drunk and then they feel like they're doing a back and forth with the audience. And I'm like, this is somebody, not what I wanted. That's another thing about bringing shows, like you say, um, if they get super drunk, it's like you're getting like 20, 30 people at a comedy show that don't normally go to comedy shows. Yeah, they don't know how to act. They don't know the etiquette. They don't know how to shut up. And they think, you know, they're mistaking crowd work for an actual conversation. It's like, no, motherfucker, this person doesn't actually want to know your opinion or have a conversation with you. This is part of the show. Like, just <laughs> Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been a, it's been a great uh, first two years of comedy for me, even with this downtime um, and then getting the podcast back up on its feet and then uh, pushing it over to YouTube and like it, like the forcing me to, to grow because like I was stagnant from like March till about uh, mid July. Like I wasn't doing anything, you know? Like, really? Yeah. Um, I, I used to record the podcast in my living room. Like, I took down all of their recording equipment and it was just, it was, it was kind of depressing for a while. Then I, I focused on the, on the weight loss. But then I think when I hit that, when, when I was, when I knew I was going to hit that milestone of breaking the 400 barrier, like I started just like, Oh, this is, I'm fucking on, you know, this is where I want to be. It inspired me to get the podcast back up, you know, watching, uh, watching gag on this, take it to where they were posting it on YouTube. Like they never stopped, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I really admired them for that. And then I saw other podcasts popping back up and I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta get my shit back going again. And, um, yeah, and here we are, you know, and it's been, it's been great having coffee with you this morning. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, before we go, I'm going to wrap it up soon, but I want to plug, I have your, uh, so over here, I have your Facebook, uh, your webpage and your Instagram up on my other monitor. Nice. And uh, you've got uh, August 11th, Sally Tomatoes. That that was earlier. That was that was the show I was referring to earlier this week. Okay, yeah. So next week you've got uh, August 21st, Benicia Mom's uh, group comedy night on Zoom. It's yep. August 27th, you've got Valerie Vernell and Friends Comedy Show. Dude, you have set in my eyes. In my eyes, you have set the standard for fucking just taking on the Zoom era of comedy. Like, you just jumped in. Did you hesitate at all? No, and the reason why is because, like, look, I know it's not ideal, you know? Like, nobody's ever going to look at a Zoom show and be like, this is the future of comedy. Like, absolutely not. Like, I feel like at its best, it's a nice, it's a it's a cool, like, like comic hang, you know, sort of like what we're doing right now. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? You get to see, you get to see, like, it's almost like, you know, you're, you're just, you're virtually hanging out with comics that you would have been hanging out with in the green room anyway. You know, nice to see everybody, nice to catch up and things like that. At its worst, you know, maybe it's like four other people and you're all just trying to make each other laugh. And, you know, either way, like, I feel like it's, it's worth a shot because there's people that are just like, I don't want to do Zoom shows. Like, you know, we know that it's no substitute for the real thing, but I feel like there's also some advantages to it. You know, I've been working with people that are in New York, in Canada, in LA, people for whom, you know, I probably would have crossed paths with them at, at some point, but it's just like, it would have also probably required like things like logistical things like traveling and, you know, making sure someone can watch my kid, making sure it doesn't conflict with any of my work shit, you know, all that. Yeah, and yeah. so 
like I've looked, you know, I, I try, I try to, I try to have a positive attitude towards it because, you know, live comedy, even though venues are, they're starting to adapt and adjust as, you know, as they should, given that this is like sort of our new normal, you know, there's just so many opportunities out there to even just get to know other people and, you know, see other people and um, get your name out there. You know, yeah. I think um, I, one of the, one of the fun things that I did was the, was when I got connected with the crazy woke Asians folks. Like I'd been trying to get on that live show for years. And, you know, now when the world stops burning, maybe because I've done, you know, their festival and because I've done their, um, you know, Asians for black lives, like those are really important shows, you know, hopefully I've got some contacts that I can refer to and things like that. It's just, it's just been, it's just been really cool. I know there, there's some people that are like anti zoom because they feel it, like it's not the same rush as like being a live audience. But you know, for those of us that can't afford to put our family members at risk, this is the next best thing. And I'm like, I'm just going to lean into it with all my heart and, <laughs> you know, hopefully some good comes of it. And, you know, I think it has because, you know, there's been people that have actually enjoyed being able to see Zoom shows, you know, people that normally would be like, man, I've got two kids. I don't think I have time for this. But you know what? Now you can settle in with a glass of wine and hear me talk about dicks in your own living room. Like, it's, yeah, I was there. I've been on a couple of Zoom shows and it's, it's really funny to just see people like kicking back, like, and you get to see like how different people like do their, do their, uh, their internetting. Like some people are at their desk. Some people are like laying in bed, like looking at a phone and like, yeah. It's, it's just I don't know. It's and and I think most importantly, uh, yeah, you you really put uh, a lot of emphasis on this. We're networking, and we're flexing the muscle of like just making people laugh spontaneous, spo spontaneous, oh, instantly. I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> we need more coffee, Jesse. Yeah, yeah, we're making Both of us. people laugh on the spot, but um, Ivy. I appreciate the hell out of you, and uh, I'm glad we finally got to sit down and have this conversation. And I, I'm pretty sure we're gonna do shows together in the future. Like, yes, please. Yeah, yeah. Yes, please. I, I mean, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always down to roll the sack. Like, like I, oh, I yeah. always tell people, I yeah. always tell people, Sacramento was like one of my favorite places to perform comedy. We had started, so my improv team, we had started doing like shows at Luna's. So behind me is a poster. That. Behind me is a poster from our December show at Luna's where we had uh, Emma Haney, Emily Peterson, and Janae Levering. And then like in, uh, in February or no, in March, the last time we were at Luna's, we had uh, Tina San Lucas, Johnny Taylor, Alicia Davis. All solid folks. We were supposed to be at Luna's in June and we wanted to do a LGBT themed show. Um, and we were gonna, uh, I don't, there was a handful, I hadn't booked anybody yet, but we had just like, right before everything got shut down, I had just emailed Art and said, okay, we want this date. And as soon as he gave, cause he gave me like a choice of three dates. You could have one of these three dates. And we had just emailed uh, Art said, we want this date. And Emily and I were just starting to toss comics names up in the air as to like who we thought we could get and who we wanted to headline. but. That never got to happen, but we're definitely going to want to do shows at Luna's again. And of course. Yeah, so, we're, yeah, we're going to work together. I know we will, and uh, I'm so glad we're, I'm so glad we're pals now, because uh, Yay! I spent a lot of time, like, like I, I pay attention to, like, everybody, and I'm sure you do, too, like. Oh, always, always. Like, talking, and you see who's grinding, you know? I try, like, I really try, like, it's, 
you know, and I, so I moderate the, um, you know, the Bay Area co like comedy network. I'm one of those people that moderate. Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, like it always, it, it feels like almost like pretentious whenever I hear a comic from the Bay Area say like, and, and I'm, and I talk about like another comic that's not from the Bay Area. And they're just like, I don't know who that is. Like for me, like really like you're in that little bubble that you don't take the time to know other people and other scenes. And you know what I mean? For me, like it's important to know who other people are and what the other scenes are like elsewhere, because I don't want to ever, I don't want to ever be pigeonholed as like a Bay area comic that only knows what it's like to work within the confines of like that thing. Like I like to expand. I like to, like I said, network. I like to get to know people. I want to have, I want to have pals up and down the state. So, you know, like I want us all to like, we all need each other. You know what I mean? Like we all need to like work together, help each other out because yeah, we yeah. ultimately all want the same thing here. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, the more, the more pleasant people are about it and the more people look at it as, you know, like networking versus competition, you know, I think that makes it more pleasant for everybody. Like I just, I, I don't ever want to be in a green room situation and, you know, not feel like I'm welcome there or people feel like they're not welcome when they're around me. Like, I don't ever want to give people that impression. Yeah, I don't ever want to have that outsider feeling, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why I value so much when people actually want to, like, connect on a more personal level and actually talk to you like a regular human being. Yeah, and that's absolutely what we did today. I think we accomplished that. And, Thank you uh, for having me. Yeah, no, th thanks for coming on on a Saturday morning. And, uh... I'll get this up probably tomorrow. The YouTube will go up tomorrow night. <clears throat> the YouTube will go up tomorrow night and the uh, the audio will go up uh, Monday. So keep me posted. We'll, we'll connect soon. Posted and I will tag you and all that fun stuff. And uh, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me, Jesse. I'll talk to you soon. It's so weird to like not shake your hand or like. I know, like fist bump, like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. But, uh, Take care, and uh, and I'll see you around. And I'm, I'm we'll uh, we'll keep trading uh, Trader Joe recipes. Absolutely, we'll chat soon. Like, well, enjoy the rest of your weekend, and I'll I'll, I'll catch up with you soon. Nicole Eigenberg said to tell you hi. I love Nicole. Is she yeah. is she feeling better? Oh yeah yeah yeah. We're we're right. host, we're hosting a uh, uh, we're gonna be on a Netflix party at eleven o'clock, and we're watching uh, the Twilight Zone. <gasps> That's gonna be fun. We'll tell her to say hi, and you guys have you guys have an awesome time. Okay. All right. Take care, Ivy. I'll see you around. Take it easy, Jesse. Thank Bye. you. Bye.